0: As we move into this season of Advent, having a bit of a cliffhanger is exactly the right start.
1: This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. And it's Advent, new season, new liturgical year, new year in the Revised Common Lectionary. Welcome to Year A. This episode, we have Andrew McGowan, who's the Dean and President of Berkeley Divinity School at Yale and the McFadden Professor of Anglican Studies and Pastoral Theology, and Ned Parker, who's the Associate Dean for Institutional Advancement at Andover Newton Seminary at Yale Divinity School and lecturer in homiletics. They're discussing Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44, which is appointed for the first Sunday of Advent in year A. Here's the text. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Jesus said, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect."
2: So, Ned, here we have everyone's famous, when is the end of the world passage, or or one of them, so to speak. This has obviously been subject to a certain amount of misreading and misuse, but I think we might both agree there's something important here about whatever it is Jesus is telling us that we do know, and maybe also that we don't know about this
0: coming of the Son of Man hour. What What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that this is the best cliffhanger of all time. There isn't a Netflix or Amazon show that has anything on this to be continued passage here. I confess, before I get into the Advent journey part, I do confess that I the first time I had to preach about this passage, I really struggled with the idea of the Lord coming in like a thief in the night my senior year of high school my parents and I moved and we had done the moving in stages and over the course of about a month and the final night of the move we had the last of our belongings in our car and we pulled into the house and it was about midnight and we went in and turned on the light and and around us was newspaper there was newspaper scattered everywhere and so we started to walk through the house only to realize that somewhere between dropping off that last load of furniture and arriving in our car, someone had shown up and taken everything, Oh, everything, everything. Gosh. And I mean, everything from, you know, photo albums that had no monetary value whatsoever to family heirlooms that had been passed down through uh, my farming family in, in Maine. And so there was something that was really disturbing to me about this notion of a thief in the night. But as I spent time with the passage, I recognized that as we move into this season of Advent, having a bit of a cliffhanger is exactly the right thing. Start. It's exactly the right start to move into a time of expectation, the journey of expectation. I mean, think about Advent like a pilgrimage where the journey itself is supposed to be the dest- destination, right? You realize that along the way. My dad did the Camino de Santiago the year after he retired. And he, he writes about stopping by this raspberry bush and picking raspberries. That stop and tasting those raspberries was just as rich and just as holy as arriving at the Chapel of St. James. So there's something about that that idea of this ending on a cliffhanger to be continued and incorporating that into the idea of being on the journey of Advent that is a really poignant and beautiful way to start, I think.
2: I mean, you've you've used two very interesting stories, one of which is a very confronting and, and negative one, and the other, you know, a beautiful pastoral one. I think they both have important things to sort of say relative to how we have to read a passage like this, and, and indeed about Advent more generally. I, I'm still sort of s- struck by your Theft story because it, this is an awkward metaphor and you have an experience to match, <laughs> and I think that that's perhaps an Im, an important aspect of of this. Not not because I think that it's meant to be uh, a negative expectation, but because it's it seems to be part of what it seems to be saying to me, and in the passage as a whole, I think part of what Jesus seems to be saying is that this is not something you have control over. Yes. And that is a very difficult thing, as a matter of fact, for many of us. I think it is for me. I'm fine saying, well, you know, um, yes, this is exactly what Jesus says. And if I study this passage carefully enough and bring out all my commentaries and exercise all my intellectual will, I will understand this passage completely and right. utterly, which will indicate that I understand it not at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's really saying that it's it's really con- – Challenging us to sit somehow with the reality of things that we don't know and and I think this is actually you know quite a struggle for those of us who who are engaged in a, attempts to to, to live the, the the life of faith if I can put that in the the broadest terms because in in a world which has become as uh, Someone famously said, disenchanted, you know, a mm-hmm. world in which the the presence of God is no longer something that people take for granted mm-hmm. from day to day and, and understood to be woven into the fabric of every event and activity and, and object. I think what often happens is that we tend to see something that's beautiful and good and helpful and uplifting and we go, aha, there is God. But that isn't really what this passage is right. saying. Right. We want to claim God as a way of talking about the things that we find fulfilling and uplifting I'm not really sure that that's the understanding of divine presence and activity that that we've got in this passage. So th- th- it's, it's not just the fact that we don't know. That's clearly a thing that runs through it. But even the arbitrariness of it, you know, two people will be in the field, one taking the other one left, two women grinding at the mill, one taking one left. And I think that the point he's trying to make there is something about what, from a, a human perspective, could only ever be the arbitrary. Mm. And yet, which clearly in context from the, the sort of implied divine perspective here is no more arbitrary than is the question of the time. And yet neither of them, neither the rationale nor the time is presented to us as available for our easy interpretation and acceptance. And, and I do think that there's got to be a, a significant message there that has to do with, well, let's put it this way, the holiness, the holiness of divine absence or the holiness of our own modesty about the claims we make about divine presence. What do you make yeah. of that?
0: I think that you're right on. I completely agree with your sentiment about the arbitrariness, if I can use that word, make up a word, the arbitrary nature, how's that, of this passage, because I, my experience has been that it has been used in such a way to be not arbitrary at all, mm. that there are chosen right? Mm -hmm. That there are particular few chosen who might be working in the fields at some point along the way, but they are among the chosen and there is no, nothing arbitrary about that. And so you, you, you should mind your manager manners and watch yourself. Your sort of liturgical theological move to make it arbitrary is a really, excuse me, a really fascinating one for me because I, I, I think, as Christians, oh boy, can you make blanket statements? Uh, uh, as as go Christians, on, go on, try. <laughs> um, as Christians, there is this idea of the chosen, and we are they, mm-hmm. and and in that sense, unfortunately, this passage can can to go back to the thief and the night metaphor can be used in a very threatening way, right? Uh, unfortunately, a very threatening way. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen it used in that way. And and perhaps that's why th- that it, it was seeing this passage used in that way that took me when I, as I said, when I first had to preach about it to back to that night when we arrived and everything had been stolen
1: mm.
0: by a thief in the night mm. to hear you make that move is, is really helpful for me to make that move
2: with you. The other thing that strikes me, to, to circle back to a point that I think you opened with, is that I don't think that there's sort a of claim I was trying to make about divine absence should be left to sit as if people might simply shrug or be deflated and say, okay, so we don't have this sense that we can just sort of point to God's activity easily and readily because, uh, but, but in fact, what it's meant, I think, to take us to is the Sort of place that you were describing at the beginning—it's that place of anticipation, mm. which is very different from going out into the world claiming that we've got the capacity to recognise divine presence in a kind of a glib, everyday sort of fashion. I mean, I, I do—I do think, by the way, that there are ways we can make claims about divine presence. I think that you know, a- authentic love is is got something to do with the reality of God, and and there are we could expand on that point. But I think that if anything. The religious environment we live in is is much too apt to make ready claims yeah about that where it is in fact the possibility of suspending those claims and then discovering what it would be to live in that moment of anticipation the kind of the moment of anticipation where you you know the, the raspberry on the Camino yes. tastes different as a result yes you know that's the sort of test yes um, and of course, let's say that that may be a moment where divine presence maybe that was an epiphanic moment for your dad. I believe it was, yeah. And yet it was partly because it was not something towards which he thought that by any effort of his own he could labor, but it simply came to him as grace.
0: As grace, yes.
1: Thanks for listening. And thank you, Deans McGowan and Parker, for starting us off with Matthew for the new liturgical year. Remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and visit our website, yalebiblestudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Our theme music and mixing on today's episode are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season.